All right, welcome back to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. My name is Todd Mitchell. Each week, I bring you tales from the game industry and talk about the business behind the games you love. Tonight, we're going to hear from my friend Paul Nicholas, who I met on Twitter shortly after he created one of the coolest retro development projects I have ever seen. You're going to hear about what that project is and what exactly possessed him to do it. Paul's a very funny guy and very nice guy, and we really appreciate his time. So I won't hold us up. Let's get straight into my talk with Paul. First, very quickly, I want to remind you about the primary sponsor for the podcast, and that is Amazon.com. If you start your next trip to Amazon over at CodeWrite Play by clicking on one of the banners on the top or the right side of the homepage, that's a free way for you to support the show. Your prices, your experience will not change in the slightest, and we will get a little thank you from Amazon for sending you over to them. So that means so much to us, you'll never know. So again, that's Amazon.com through CodeWrite Play. All right, Paul Nicholas, how you doing, buddy? I'm very good, sir. And yourself? I'm doing just fine, thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, finding time in your schedule. We got a little time difference between us. Uh, where are you located? Uh, I'm in the south of England, so so in the UK. Yep. So you're uh, home from work, uh, relaxing for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan. No, no. Yes, yeah. that's, I am indeed. This before, is relaxing. Before I came along and uh, <laughs> messed that up for you. No, no. It's all good. It's all good. Good. Well, uh, so so tell me this. Uh, you and I became friends on Twitter, I, I believe, right after I found a uh, Pico 8 project you had completed based on the um, the Scum engine, the Maniac Mansion uh, ah. <laughs> engine. Uh, tell me what possessed you to do this, because it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen done with Pico 8. <laughs> it's, it's a very good question. I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering. What, what possessed me to do it? Um, Really, it was, it's, it's, it's something that snowballs from when you start doing these uh, these little projects, so-called little projects with Pico 8. And it's, it's one of these things where it's, it's a great little... So if, if anyone doesn't know, Pico 8 is this, this fantasy console that's... Um, it, it never really existed in, in physical form. It's, it's kind of like an emulator without having a, a real piece of hardware that it's emulating from. Right. Um, but it's, it's severely limited, and it's sort of based around sort of... Um, by its name, it's 8-bit consoles, um, although it does sort of borrow some things from 16-bit eras. So it's, it's this beautiful blend of low-res sort of technology and sound and visuals. And it's supposed to focus the mind, really, so that you, you, you know, do small projects. And uh, and I'm, I've seen loads of other developers doing the same thing, but they start small, they do a small little project, you know, some little game, maybe a platformer. Um, and then after a while, you start building up and building up a bit more. I think, well, what else can I squeeze into this this little <laughs> bit? I mean, and and the, the code can only be so big, and they, they fit on these small cartridges that, that that end up getting exported as PNGs, which is so damn cute. And yeah. that, that that was the bit that really really sort of um, won me over to to spend some time with this thing because you can just share these images around, and it's got all the code now. Right. Um, so, yeah. So so your project specifically uh, recreated sort of a, a maniac mansion style. Uh, walk around this house, and and I'm wondering, how close did you get to the actual code limitation on that? Oh, I, I maxed it. I maxed it completely. That's yeah. my thought. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I mean, it's so I, I got I got kind of as close as I could. I think I think realistically get um, is and I, I sort of put big disclaimers because you you get people to go oh but it's not really scum um, and 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 that was never going to be possible due to the limitations. But but functionally from an API point of view, I got um, there were some great resources on the internet uh, from some uh, ex developers that were actually at LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games back then at the time, and they published sort of this information. So I had all that to go on. So from uh, you know, the commands that were available, as you would actually build a, a scum game back in the day, uh, that's that's all in there. And to be honest, I kind of got a bit too carried away because I was like, I, I want to get all the main features in there. I want to be able to walk around, you know, um, to be able to interact with objects, other characters, you know, do dialogues back and forth. And, and obviously cut scenes, that, that was a huge thing for me. I, I wanted to be able to have that in there because I think those sort of cutscenes and the way that everything's very um, cinematic was what sort of really drew me into the scum, uh, kick on the scum games for the Lucasfilm games in, in the early days. But I, I got so carried away that it was like, okay, uh, I've got about, like, I've taken up about 80% of the available code space, if you like, just with the engine. So I, I ended up being very torn at the end because I was like, I can't really sacrifice anything here without, without really throwing away, like, you know, it felt like cutting off a leg or something if I get rid of this bit. <laughs> so um, so I, in, in that demo that, that, that I ended up putting up there, and obviously there's a, a heck of a lot of uh, uh, homages to... Um, Ron Gilbert you know, uh, and, and the others, uh, Maniac Mansion, just if from style, if not just uh, from in content as well. The I only ended up having enough room for about twelve, if that, rooms um, before. That's it. There's no more room on this cartridge. Right, <laughs> and that, that's sort of what what strikes you. The first time I played Maniac Mansion, I was already a grown up. I it it didn't uh, come across my uh, my console as a child, but when <laughs> I when I did it as an adult, I thought. Wow, this is just this is sort of the height of retro gaming, you know, because <laughs> you play yeah. this and it, it, it's sort of these quaint graphics, but it's impressive for the time. But as you dig further and further into it, you go, oh my god, this this just goes inward forever. You can do so much stuff, and and the fact that you created such a large portion of that in the Pico Eight system, <laughs> that's why I was kind of saying on Twitter, like, you guys don't understand. You have to look at this thing. <laughs> it just he's he's done so much of this so well. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, that's very kind. Uh, I, I I tried, and it's um as you say that, and I have to I have to confess, and it's it's one of the things I really must rectify as soon as possible. I I haven't completed Maniac Mansion myself. It as you say, it it goes on and on and on, and that's not a bad thing. It's just right. it's amazing how much the guy, uh, particularly Ron and, and and the rest of the developers, managed to squeeze out of originally the Commodore 64. How on earth they managed to fit all that into the memory and the, and the processing power that they had available at the time is is ridiculous. Um, so so yeah, I tried to pick key sort of scenes that, that you know, um, so that there was a, you know, shake it up a bit and then just link all the rooms together and obviously throw in a tentacle here and there just to uh, get some familiar characters in there and uh, just hope that nobody sues me. And uh, so far, Ron, Ron's been pretty good. He's, 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 he's seen it and um, he's, he's said nice things about it, which is, which is quite good. And I can't ask for more than that. That's awesome because he's he's very active on Twitter, uh, of course, and I enjoy following him and seeing you know how he sort of interprets uh, modern you know game industry stuff, and uh, I, I can only imagine how much fun it would be to sort of interact with him now and uh, you know sort of express that that awe that we we have for him you know as as such a legend in the in the game industry you know. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I say it, it just, I mean, you saying that, you know, this blows me away, it, it absolutely blows me away, you know, what they managed to achieve, achieve back in the day. And I'm, I'm really annoyed because I, I did have a Commodore 64 growing up as a kid. And I, for some reason, with all of those copied tapes that I had of, of games that, that, to be honest, most of them came with the console uh, or the computer, um, I never had Maniac Mansion and it completely passed me by. So it, it likewise, you, you said you didn't uh, touch that game until it came to it. Uh, I, I didn't play it until much after the you know the, the classics like Secret Monkey Island and, and, and the like. So it was one that I returned to later in the day as well. Right. Yeah. My my dad had a Commodore 64. I wasn't really allowed to get near it. I was still pretty <laughs> young at that time, you know. <laughs> but uh, we we had like an Apple IIc or IIe. It was one of those. And uh, the closest I came to any of this stuff was we had some of the books where you could punch in the code and play, mm-hmm. you know, like Ice Cave or <laughs> whatever it was. Um, yep. But that's that's just so cool. Uh, tell me how how long had you been playing with Pico Eight before you tackled something of that scale? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I didn't start playing with Pico Eight right when it got created. I I picked it up from. Um, so I think the short answer to your question is uh, probably about a year, something like that, on and off. But I, I I think when I first saw it and fell in love with with this whole sort of fancy console idea. I, I you know, played the heck out of it and was, you know, it was the first time I'd uh, seen Lua, the scripting language. Um, right. uh, so, and that, that, that was that was cool to me. I'm, I'm a C-sharp and .NET developer by day. So it was a slight switch, but obviously, you know, syntactically, there's, there's not a great deal of difference there. And um, and it's great for beginners because it's, it's very similar to basic in a way. So after doing a, a few... I was going to say simple ones, but I think the first thing I ever did and pushed up was... Um, uh, a clone of the the Stacker Arcade machine. I don't know if you sure. guys ever played that. Yeah. So it was one of those that I can't remember. I thought it'd be nice to do a little arcade machine. And I thought, well, what arcade machine have I invested and wasted loads and loads of time on? It's like that one. That that <laughs> one took enough, and I never got anything decent out of it. So I thought, right. well, that, that's that's probably good. You know, how how hard can that be? But uh, again, like like all projects, particularly. Yeah, small uh, game dev projects. Everyone always tells you something. Whatever you're thinking of doing, halve it and halve it again. Just doing something simple like a, a, a little arcade machine can can actually grow and grow if you're not careful. So that, that I ended up polishing that thing way too much. And uh, and then <laughs> on the next few, I think I did much much smaller uh, smaller projects. But um, to be fair, one of the things that probably helped the most, and and, and again another reason, I'm really not affiliated with uh, Pico Eight, but I seem to be just like giving reasons that yeah, you need to go out and buy it. Yeah. Is that have you heard of Tweet Jams? Have you seen these tweet tweet carts that have been going around at all? Oh no, uh, yeah, no. Okay, so um, the idea of that, um, I think it was, I say Adam Atomic, uh, as a, um, from Cannibal. I've probably said his name wrong there, but uh, he is to create a tweet. And all the code is in the tweet, and you can just copy and paste that into Pico 8, and um, and that is it. So <laughs> someone will uh, share up a, a, an animated GIF because it can export out to that. So it's a good way of learning to use a few of the commands, um, but without you know going too crazy into uh, the depth and scope of a project. So um, I think doing quite a lot of these little tweet jams was, was very useful to sort of Get used to the language and build up the the confidence of you know making things move and making things pretty. Um, but um, yeah, just slowly building up the scale. And I've got um, a friend of work and some other people that are sort of doing starting to play with this stuff. And yeah, I'm trying to help them to learn from my mistakes and go. No, really, really, start small. Do do something small and then slowly build up. 
I, I think that's exactly right because what you said about having what you wanted to do and then have it again when you start getting into things like game jams and stuff you you hear a lot of that same thing mm -hmm. and uh, they they try to warn every newcomer and uh, probably no matter how many warnings you get your first game jam you're going to go way too aggressive yep <laughs> uh, i i certainly did probably my whole first year but uh <laughs> Uh, it's it's just a fascinating thing because this is yet another thing, and this being Pico 8, this is yet another way to sort of uh, put those restrictions on yourself to force you to get into that mindset. Yeah. And it, once you're in that mindset, like you said, you start to build something and you go, okay, I, I do have some room now that we've got you know something functional, something that works. Uh, we're past proof of concept. Let's add a little bit here and a little bit there. And when time's up, now you're done and you're safe and everything's <laughs> everything's nice. But uh, that, that's got to be one of the most difficult lessons to learn uh, on your way to becoming, you know, good at this. It, it, it definitely is. And it's, uh, I think it's the um, and it's, it's kind of a double edged sword because you start enjoying what you're doing because you can get, you know, quick results or results very quickly. And, 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 and like you say, prototype something and then you can just build on the prototype, making it functional. You almost you don't want to um, ruin that enthusiasm or, or, or restrict it, but you do, like you say, have to rein it in and just do a bit of a sanity check every now and then and just see, you know, how close am I to the you know, high water mark here? And um, it's, it's easy to, to forget to do that. Yeah, and it, it translates well because it, when you decide, okay, now I'd like to make my own proper game. If you're a newer person or you're working with a newer person, as their brain starts to spin in front of you and you see them sort of realize how much depth there can be to it, that's when you sort of start to lose people, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you see yeah. their eyes glaze over and they get nervous and I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And, and really, this is the best way to build up those muscles to get you to the finish line, I think. It, it is a very good introduction. And, and for someone like me, I, I, I can dabble a bit with uh, sort of... Um, pixel art but really I, I i know my limits and and having something that's limited to 128 by 128 pixels is it, it kind of feels like you, you and with 16 colors that you're on a, a slightly level playing field with with say great artists because it's, it's whereas you know doing something with much higher resolution you're just like i don't know where to begin whereas yeah. you think like you know if you're trying to draw a, a person with like five pixel by, by ten you think there's only so many combinations that you could do here and it, it, you just kind of feel like you've got more of a chance to try and compete with some of those guys you don't really but it just feels like <laughs> i i agree it's it's like if you had an architect with you but you're both playing with legos you know, exactly. You that's, feel, that's a much better analogy. I should feel that. You feel like you can at least sort of hold hold your own, even if they're exactly. still going to come out with a, a much better uh, final result. Indeed. I enjoy uh, Pico 8 because I have worked in Lua before, and mm -hmm. uh, I think as as we've discussed before, like my only actual commercial product I did in Lua um, almost completely throughout. I, I ended up having to port that to uh, iOS and Android at the end, but using a, a very basic framework I coded my whole game using Lua and uh, really it wasn't pixel art but it was more like um, I used uh, what is the uh, the vector drawing app um, it escapes me right now but oh um <laughs> you, you know Inkscape 
Inkscape, thank you. Yes, it's the open source one. Yeah. What, what I found was that once I had lines that I could just push and pull till they were correct, I had a much <laughs> better chance because I'm I'm not a native artist either. I had a much better chance of coming up with a decent product if I had just unlimited time to push and pull mm -hmm. and scale and, and try different things. If if you give me a, a pencil and a piece of paper, uh, you can probably just throw both of those things away. You know. Yeah. And, and like I say, it's, it's, with all of this, it's ha having constraints and having limits or whatever, it, it just focuses the mind or, or you know focuses your creativity. And, and so that if you've got the world's the limit, and then you, you get nothing done, or it's it's very hard to just like to keep on track. And and whether it's through this console or whether it's through doing something else, that seems like and, and I've, I've noticed that with movies as well i'm a big movie fan as well so um any directors that have been like if they've had like a real tight budget or they had to do it in a short amount of time or something like that, it just seems to breed creativity and they just seem to like produce something that's a bit i don't know um if they've got an unlimited budget then that's when things generally go wrong unless you're james cameron in which case he seems to always seem to knock out blockbusters but always he's always on his feet right yeah <laughs> In, in a lot of disciplines, I, I think the scariest thing you could have is a blank canvas and just mm -hmm. no no rules, no guidelines, no anything. That's where writer's block comes from. And and uh, I, I guess you could say to some extent we have that as coders also. We have sort of a coder's mm -hmm. block. <laughs> yeah, um, no, definitely. It's, it's, it's a fear. So uh, as for game development in general, I mean, I, I know you're normally just sort of a non-gaming commercial programmer, which is certainly how I got started as well. Um, how long have you been sort of into hobby game development? That's a good question. It's, you're hitting me with all the good ones. Yeah, um, you never think of it till you're yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's, it's probably been in the last couple of years, if, if, if that really. It's on and off, it's, it's always been something. I mean, certainly the, the first thing I wanted to do when I was a kid, I was just like, as soon as I realized that computers could be programmed at like uh, five or six or something, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And like you said, you, you had the magazines where you had the, the source code for you know some naughty little adventure game, um, and you, you'd spend hours typing it all in. And yeah. And and I was I was hooked from there. So I th I think I originally thought from then on that oh this will be what I'll do. But even, even no, well it's it's never been easy to get into that kind of industry. So I I think I I took the perhaps safer path I, I guess and and just went sh sh you know straight into like say more commercial application development. So I've, I've dabbled here and there throughout. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. The last thirty odd years I guess. Um. But yeah, it's, it's only been the last sort of couple of years that I thought with these um particularly with these jams i think um as you say it's they're, they're a real convenience sort of you know perfectly sort of small bite of a window that you, know, you can dedicate some time to um and again it not be such a mammoth project that you end up throwing it away or or if you do end up throwing it away you've only invested maybe a couple of days or a week uh, and, and it doesn't feel so painful yeah um, so, so that's pretty recent i'd say but uh but like, as I said to you, sort of, um, when you kindly asked, uh, invited me to, to come on your show, I thought, well, unlike a, a lot of other people that you know, trying to make their you know day to day through this, it's um, I, I wouldn't class myself in anywhere near that. I just, I just like playing around with it and um, trying to keep up. Absolutely. And tell me if you find this is true as well. But someone was asking me just the other day 
you know, if, if you were so interested in this, why did you go into like commercial software development instead of just going straight into games? And uh, my, my, my short response was like, are you are you kidding? Like, of course, I would have liked to go <laughs> directly into games, especially when I was college age, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what people don't always realize is that uh, game development, as big as the industry is, it is very tightly focused in very certain geographic areas. Um, we, we have two or three of them here in the U.S. I know, I don't know how close you are to companies like Rare or, um, you know, I, I think Ubisoft is out your way somewhere. Possibly. Yeah, um, and you've got Hello Games and a few others that are about sort of oh. an hour's drive up the road. Uh-huh. So um, really it's it's on the coasts around here. Uh, Canada also has, has some uh, uh, booming game businesses. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Ubisoft there as well, but... So for a lot of us, I think we we get out of school, we go like, yeah, I'm interested in technology and computers, and a lot of it is based on video games, mm-hmm. but we do what we need to do to get by, and we're lucky that it's a field that uh, will usually take pretty good care of you um, mm-hmm. if if you're you know capable, and, and, and then we have cool stuff like game jams, and I think that's why the indie scene thrives the way it does, because a lot of us just don't have <laughs> opportunities to, to take it full time. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it, it, I've not been monitoring it as closely as probably someone like yourself has, has, has been monitoring it throughout the years. But it, it does seem like it's—I want to say—it's kind of gone in waves. Um, so, like back when I was growing up, and perhaps yourself as well, you, you definitely had bedroom coders where you, you really could have a, a game that you built in your bedroom as one or two two-man band, and it you know just go massive. It would be bought by a, you know, a publisher or whatever, and just go, yeah, here's a buckload of money. And then that all just went away for a really long time. And it's only sort of since the smartphones sort of came around again that it was like, okay, this is now seemingly possible again. You don't always have to have like a massive, I don't know, 100-man team uh, creating the next AAA title. I think, like you say, when it came to around college time, um, it it seemed like unless you were going to prepare to really go all out. And I did have some some friends in, in college that did, take that route and I get you know wish them all the best and I think they you know did quite well but I just probably didn't have the guts to do it so it's, it's nice that it's all kind of come around again and every now and it does so and like I say the the indie uh, scene and, and dev scene seems to be just a um, I say a wonderful community everyone just seems to have the utmost respect for each other um, and looks out and sort of you know everyone's willing to share each other's work and um, certainly from my point of view I, I find it very helpful just you know surrounding and seeing the there's a mixture of um, being um, like slightly shattered by seeing some amazing work and just going, oh my god, I can't do anything like that. But also, <laughs> it, it does challenge yourself. It does force you to just kind of like push yourself a bit more. But um, so it's, it does seem like it's still possible uh, to get, you know, if you're lucky and your your thing goes viral, then I, I guess that's all it takes nowadays with the internet. But it is it does seem to be down to a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And you bring up an interesting point. I think to some extent independent developers we always seem to cycle around and find a way to make ourselves competitive like you said the mobile thing's a a great point because now we've got all these smartphones there's room for anybody to create something in a a fairly short amount of time i did i did my game completely completely alone except for a couple of uh, voiceovers and that was a six-month project and i did it while i was you know uh helping the family other ways doing other work you know things like that and it's funny, when I was um, doing a little bit more writing for uh, different game sites, I talked to a guy who 
learned assembly language like way back when so he could make his own NES games. Mm-hmm. And he, he said the exact same thing. He said, you know, it's uh, the, the game industry is taking off. However, if you get on the right platform, you can make a competitive game by yourself. And I feel like we're going to keep finding ways to do that, which is really cool if you think about it. Yeah, I I, I don't uh, envy that guy for sure. Uh, no, me neither. Assembly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I dabbled and I, it, it scared the hell out of me. Um, but yeah, like you say, if, if you're determined enough and um, you're smart enough to, to do it, then yeah, what world's your oyster? You will give yourself a competitive edge, no, no doubt about it. I've uh, I've flipped through an assembly book and um, I, I like to think of myself as like just above average intelligence, like just <laughs> just above. But uh, that that leaves way too much room to tackle assembly. Like I, I don't think I could. Um, I don't think I'd be happy if I, if I devoted no. myself to that. <laughs> it, it, it does. It, it blows my mind. And um, I, of the games that I tend to like, have a lot of appreciation for and, and, and seem to return to play more uh, are the ones that use procedural content or are yeah. procedurally generated. And, and to know that like, so back in the 80s, you know, uh, one of my favorite games is River Raid, and that's sort of back in 82. And the fact that a game on the Atari 2600 had you know, procedurally level generation. Is it just baffles me? And and again, I'm guessing assembly, um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's it's just amazing. And so yeah, we we've never had it so good, and we do really shouldn't complain with the amount of uh, you know layers of of libraries on top of libraries on top of libraries that <laughs> we're standing on the shoulders of giants and. Exactly. Um, <laughs> And so, so you know, we're the ones that are guilty, and we're wondering why is Windows taking up you know several you know, hundred gigs of uh, for hard drive, and it's because you know we've all got a little bit lazy in a way. And maybe we should start learning assembly. I, or not. <laughs> go back to basics, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's tear out all those layers and and do things the way we should do it. Now, uh, do you do you find that when it comes to modern games and modern consoles and stuff, do you, do you find that you enjoy the same things? The things you can tell took some really clever uh, programming, procedural content, things like that. And I, I hate to draw on No Man's Sky. That might not be the best <laughs> example. But, but do you find you appreciate games that have sort of uh, clever mechanics like that now? Uh, absolutely. Um, it was the first thing that was jumping my mind ready to say as soon as you were asking that. So you, you baited me. Um, yeah, it's um, stuff like that particularly. Uh, it, it, I think it will always impress me. And, um, and I, I guess there may be schools of thought you might get some people who go oh well that's lazy you're just you know creating a load of rules and then just letting the game run off with it i'm like well, but it, it creates a lot more playability because then you know, you've got sort of endless gaming but yeah no, no man's sky when i started um seeing what sean murray was starting to you know push out with some of the early demos they did it was e3 the first one i can't recall um but when they started showing it and we were like ah oh, wow and you know, I guess you know, there's there's some arguments on either side of whether or not it's been fully delivered. But uh, yeah, you, you've got to tip your hat at that team of just what they've managed to achieve so far. And um, you know, regardless of whether or not it's what people are expecting. Um, and and likewise, back in the day, my my favourite game on the Amiga was Frontier Elite Two. And I uh, and I never really played the original, unfortunately, too much. And uh, whenever I did have a chance, I was always just like crashing into wireframe uh, uh, stations in space. But mm. you know, back then, again, creating a galaxy within uh, a, 
a tiny old 8-bit computer is, is crazy. So, so yes, procedurally generated ones that, that come out now are, are, will definitely pique my interest. Uh, but really, it's, it's all been down to cinematics. So, and that started with the old games, and hence the, the scum type games, because I felt that they were like interactive movies. And, and most recently, and, and still my favorite game, like if I had to pick one of all time, is, is The Last of Us and, and other games like that that are, are, you know, massively cinematic and just, you know, just make you feel like you're playing in the movie. Uh, sure. I, I, they, they're the ones that, that would really, you know, uh, grab my interest. Anything that's got, you know, really detailed cutscenes, you know, that, again, make, make you feel like you're part of the movie. I'd love to do something like that one day and, yeah, Pico is probably not a platform for that. Um, <laughs> I think I've, I've probably milked that with some kind of cinematics. But again, that, that takes a lot of talent for you know art design and or, or motion capture or something. And um, yeah, I th- I'll probably leave that to the professionals and just uh, enjoy playing them. Right. It's, it's such a, a funny thing because I, I feel like game development, it's a journey that happens in stages. You, you do very small stuff. I don't know how many of us didn't start with some kind of text-based game, those of us who played them and enjoyed them back in the day, when we decided to tackle um, you know, C++ for the first time or something like that, it, it, it was very natural to go, oh, I could make my own text game with this, you know? And yep. uh, since that time, I've, I've actually created a little bit of an engine for text games using like HTML and uh, the Bootstrap um, uh-huh. Twitter uh, framework, which uh, people have enjoyed thumbing through. I've actually got that up on GitHub uh, now. But I think then then you sort of go, okay, now it's time to tackle a platformer. Then you go, uh, if you get far enough, you go, oh, maybe I could do something in 3D. And <laughs> I, I first started looking at Blender when I was, oh, man, I was still in high school. I was probably in the first half of high school, uh, putting me at, you know, 13, 14 years old and, mm-hmm. and going, I have everything here that I need. I could make, you know, real games. And, <laughs> And uh, it, it's it's exciting, and learning Blender is like, um, well, it's right up there with assembly, probably. <laughs> it, yeah, it, but, but like I say, it's, you, that almost ends up being very frustrating, doesn't it? Because you're like, especially when you know you're working with the tools that like, the the people that have created some games you admire, and you've got it all right in front of you, like, do something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like you just want to, you know, click your fingers and then it just make it all come together. But then you realize that oh, I'm actually got to do a lot of work. And, and that's where it will be a test of your enthusiasm, I suppose. Exactly. And, but I'm with you. I really enjoy the sort of cinematic experience, very heavily story-driven stuff. It's mm-hmm. always very cool to me. And I feel like I sort of fall into a little bit of a trap where um, I do enjoy playing games with my friends. And as we get older, you know, we get slightly limited time to devote to games uh, entirely. And they want to play Overwatch and Halo, and, you know, and, and I, I'm a big racing fan, too. I like to follow up, see what uh, what the Dirt series is doing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always leave a lot of time to check out what came out from Telltale, even though that stuff is awesome. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun to play. And it's equally cinematic at times, yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's like it'd be great if there were uh, a sort of a more approachable way to create that kind of experience as a game developer. Yeah, maybe maybe VR will will lead to some some stuff, but it's a lot of the same technology to build that stuff. So yeah, I, I've had I've had some thoughts over the years of just like, oh, wouldn't it wouldn't it be a you know great to have a way to uh, create like say something that's got it's already got all the framework in it. Maybe it's got some um, uh, you know, pre-stored motion capture for people walking and, and performing certain actions, and then all you got to do is just like we're going back to the Lego blocks uh, example and just like just 
you know, build things up in the right order and, you know, ta-da, you've got a stage, you've got a background and then everything's together and then you've just got to make them all interact. And, right. But again, yeah, that's probably going to take a lot of investment and uh, I, I, it was something I, I always ended up shying away from. But to tell you the truth, when I look at a lot of the stuff people have made with Gary's mod, I think maybe <laughs> maybe we weren't meant to have this ability. <laughs> well, I think you've just put the nail on the head. That, that That is it, isn't it? Gary's mod was, was built just for people to do that. And, oh, gosh, what's his name? Um, so the Freeman's Mind is Ross. I can't remember his name. I don't know if you've seen that uh, YouTube series. I don't recall. And basically, pardon? I don't recall. Okay, so um, there's this guy, um, and it's is it's, annoying me now that I can't remember his name, but um, he used the the source engine and um, and you know version of the Half Life Two content and just made silly videos. Again, I think it's just perhaps a slight precursor to Gary's model, maybe around the same time, and just made little stupid little comedic shorts, and they're absolutely hilarious. And they're some of the funniest videos I've, I've ever seen. I, I'll I have to tweet a link, so I, I forget what it's called now. But uh, but yeah, uh, that the engine's already there. You've got all the assets that you need, and it's got a, a bunch of pre-configured movements and such. And then all you need is just, you know, to have either a wacky sense of humor or to do something more um, dramatic and serious. And yeah, I keep forgetting people have already done this, uh, you know, put all the building blocks there for us, and we just need to figure out how to assemble them. Exactly. I, I find myself occasionally uh, searching to see if maybe telltale has put out any of their tools and i think like why would they ever do that that's stupid like just because i want them to you know <laughs> but, uh, yeah they probably like did themselves have a bit of money i suppose if they did. yeah they, they've sort of got a pretty specific product and i guess i can't really expect them to go here you go everybody this is how we make it you know it would be nice it would be nice maybe one day but uh uh well tell me what you're playing at the moment well this is a good point what am i playing at the moment i'm <laughs> sounds, i'm in between games so i i I have to admit, I'm not a massive gamer. I, I just, you know, if, I, if a game comes along that I really like, then, I, then I'll play that. I most recently uh, finished Until Dawn. I was quite late to okay. that one. Probably helped by the fact that it came up on the, the PlayStation monthly free games. Yeah. But as soon as I, when it came out, I, I seen from the, the trailers for it that that looked, again, cinematic and, and very impressive. Playing it was a, a completely... Mass, you know, I totally un, underexpected you know, how impressive that game was. Uh, have you played it? I have not. Okay. Well, that was lucky. Well, I wouldn't spoil anything anyway, just in case anyone's listening. But yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, I'm, I'm not usually massively into big jump scare games or anything like that. And I, I thought perhaps it was going to be a bit cheesy because you had a sort of famous actress as, uh, cast in it. But the game that they managed to put together in that was just every every generation or sort of every couple of years when we're talking about cinematic games they notch up the detail they notch up the realism and um, I guess a bit like L.A. Noir and, and things like that when they had the you know, looking into the faces to detect whether somebody's lying they managed to get those details just right, right. everything just seems to be amped up in, in this one um, and, and there's probably way more realistic games out there but yeah no, I was really impressed with that you, you just you know it's, it's like the sort of typical sort of uh, cheesy slasher films they're all sort of stuck in a, uh, a scary uh, cabin in the woods um in the snow in this case and um but yeah cinematically and it, it just really amped up uh, uh yeah quite a lot of fear i thought and uh yeah that was really impressive so at the moment i'm yeah just sort of waiting to see what else comes up in, in the monthly games or um what else comes out i still keep going back to no man's sky every time there's an update i'll sort of like to check out what else is new I, i've not 
ever reach the center of the universe. I, I haven't got a clue how long it would take to do it. So <laughs> I, I've, I'll, I'll keep keep giving that a go. And then, yeah, just waiting to see well, eventually what whatever comes out of and whenever The uh, Last of Us Part 2 or uh, 2 comes out. And most recently, I guess the other thing that I played and completed, tying it back to Scum, was um, Thimbleweed Park, which I was Ooh, yeah. sorry. With um, obviously biased being being a fan of uh, of the, the developers anyway, but that was that was really good and very entertaining because it's sort of pulling in a lot of other influences that I like, like uh, Twin Peaks and X Files, uh, all in this just wacky humor, but again with a sort of sixteen bit pixel art style. And it, it's so great to see some of that brought into the modern day, so they can incorporate, like you say, some of the things we like now and the, the pop culture. Mm. <laughs> It's it's just such a cool thing, and I'm so glad some of these guys are uh, still active. I was, who was I just talking about? I, I mentioned Sid Meier the other day, and um, okay, it's just some of these guys who have um, just just sort of hung around and just just been mainstays in the industry, and it's just so awesome to see, uh, hear their thoughts on Twitter, and see what they're actually putting out. It's just just phenomenal. Everything seems to be coming around full circles again. It's like you know through waves of you know fashion and stuff, and and, and like you say, yeah, all, all these greats and and legends that I remember growing up, um, like the the Oliver Twins with the Dizzy series, they've had the Kickstarter uh, recently, or at least they're they're working on the next uh, sort of Dizzy game, and that was something that came out on the Specky and the and the C64. A, a lot of these, like I say, legendary uh, developers seem to all just had a bit of resurgence. I think. Um, I don't know how long it'll last, but we seem to be in a bit of a, a retro revival, and, and, and there seems to be a lot of sort of love coming back around for, for these sort of ones. And I, I think they're smart. All these you know, people that were big back in the day are, um, are realizing that and are sort of rightly taking advantage of sort of like giving a chance to give breathe some sort of new life in their old games. I think Thalamus was another UK sort of um, game developer back in the day. They've recently just uh, announced that they're kicking up the old team and uh, and are re-releasing some either sort of renewed or HD versions of, of games. And uh, I, th- I think this whole sort of remastering and, and HD versions are, um, are giving everyone an opportunity to, to uh, revisit old uh, classics. I love that because if you had told me when I was 12 years old, you know, you are going to grow up, but you will still be playing Sonic and you'll be uh, you'll be drawing <laughs> another eight- good example, yeah. Right, you'll be drawing eight bit characters on your computer screen. Like I would have been, I would have been on board. I would have been much more enthusiastic. <laughs> I, I just hope it's not something that's. I, I don't see it can be a flash in the pan, and, and that maybe everyone will get sick of blocky graphics for a while, and they go like, "Yeah, I, I want realism," and then you know the, this will fade away for a bit. But I, I, I think it will come back again. Yeah, I'll see a comment section about a, a new uh, pixel art game or, or uh, a remake, and somebody will go, you know, I, I don't, one person for every 50 people will go, I do not understand why people are drawn to games with these graphics. And then like 100 <laughs> people will threaten that guy. You know? it's, it, I, yeah, I would imagine there's a bit of a, well, we'd say Marmite sort of thing, whether you, you either love it or you hate it. But um, yeah. I. It seems to get more more love than hate, which which I'm I'm very grateful for. Because um, yeah, I, I I don't know whether it's a nostalgic thing or, or what, but yeah, retro games or you know, games back back then have just always been very appealing, and I always seem to just go back to them, even if it's just to play them for just like a couple of hours on a on an emulator or something. And a real console if you can get it, but but yeah, it's just I don't know something comforting about going back and playing those games. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I told you I'd keep it brief, and 40 short minutes later, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> here, here we are. That, that time really flew by, but uh, tell us real quick um, wh- where people can follow you online or uh, you know, websites, Twitter, anything you want to give. Oh, wow. Cool, the plug. Um, yeah, to be honest, um, I guess Twitter is probably the main thing that, that I, I tend to push stuff up on. So um, that's at Liquid Dream. So that's uh, Liquid and R-E-A-M at the end. Um, and I, I do have a website that's you know, liquiddream.co.uk. It hasn't been getting much of the love lately, but um, it's due a refresh. So uh, I'll, I'll probably push some stuff up there soon. Perfect. Well, we will follow you there and uh, we'll do this again. This was great. Oh, super. Thanks very much, Todd. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Huge thanks to my friend Paul Nicholas for taking time with us and for the lively discussion about video games, the game industry, you name it. Uh, if you are on Twitter, follow Paul at Liquid Dream with 1D. He's a great person to interact with and a very funny guy also. As for the show, we love the downloads and the subscriptions and the interactions on social media. It gets better every week, and we love that about you guys. So stick around, tell a friend. Uh, I think we're going to hear from our friend John Scheiber again next week, and we've got some fun stuff in store for the coming weeks, so you don't want to miss that. So for my friend Paul Nicholas and for Code Right Play, I'm Todd Mitchell. You guys keep playing. We will talk to you next week.